No one man made this happen. Took a lot of people to make this happen. But I don't want to recognize any person today. But I want us to pause this morning. And I want us to give the one that is ultimately responsible. And that is our King of Kings. And our Lord of Lords, would you give him a standing ovation? A standing ovation to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. At the end of every year, I take some time and, and get alone with God and just seek the Lord for what He would want to do in the coming year in my church. Seeking God for a word, a theme, a direction. Well, this year was a little bit different than most years because, because this year, instead of, instead of me seeking the Lord out, it seems like the Lord sought me out. And God began to impress upon my heart in such an incredible way to challenge his people to a total turnaround in their life in the year 2014. And I'm 100% convinced this morning that God wants to turn some things around for you. If you're here this morning and there's some things in your life that needs some help, if you need a turnaround in more than one area of your life today, I, I promise you today that God wants to turn some things around for you in this coming year. For those who truly want a turnaround and for those that are willing to embrace and implement the challenges God has laid on my heart to challenge you with. For you, not for everybody, but for you, I believe that you will, be, you will see drastic changes in your life. And I believe that you're going to end this year totally different than you ended last year. Today I'm going to issue the fourth challenge in this sermon series that I'm calling Challenge 2014. Now, if you have not been here the last few Sundays, you can go online to our website and you can listen to the previous three challenges. Today's challenge is the grace of Challenge. The grace challenge. God is challenging this church to become a people of grace. And you and I better embrace this challenge if we indeed are going to call ourselves the grace place. So let's talk a little bit about, about grace today. The first thing I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about its description. Its description. What is grace anyway? 
What does this word grace mean? Well, I'm going to make an acrostic out of the word grace. Hopefully, it will help us better understand what grace is. So let's get started this morning. With the, for the letter G in the word grace, let me suggest that grace is a gift. Amen. Grace is a gift. Now, a good definition uh, for grace would be freely given unmerited love and favor. Grace is the freely given unmerited love and favor of God. So grace is a gift. It's a gift. Grace is giving love and giving favor to somebody that doesn't deserve it. It's giving love and favor to someone who, who doesn't deserve it. And doesn't earn it. You see, if you deserve something, if you earn something, that's wages, that's payment, that, that, that would be a reward. But grace is loving someone who doesn't necessarily love you back. Grace is giving to someone with no strings attached. Giving to someone who won't or can't give back to you. That's grace. And grace, friend, is exactly what God did for us in the process of salvation. Romans 5 and 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we look around here this morning, and everybody's got their Sunday morning go-to-meet and clothes on, and everybody's dressed up, and we clean up pretty good. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 and 8 says that, Oh, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and, and not of works, lest anyone might boast. For the letter R, grace, I would suggest it's radical. Radical. Grace doesn't make sense logically. Uh, loving the unlovable. Doing good to those that do bad to us. Offering help and hope to people who do not deserve it. Blessing those that are going to curse us. Forgiving those who don't ask for forgiveness and, and forgiving them uh, even when we know they're probably going to hurt us again. That's pretty radical. But Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says, It is through God's kindness and not, not through good works. If it were, Paul says, if it were because of good works, it would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Wow, that's pretty radical. You see, when we come to God, we don't come to Him based on what we can do for Him. Oh, no, we come to Him based upon what He has done for us. 
You see, the truth of the matter is man could never meet God's standard for righteousness. And because man could never measure up, no matter what man did, man could never, ever meet God's demand for righteousness. And because of that, God did for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And He did it. Oh, He did it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says that at the cross that God placed on Christ the iniquity or the sin of us all. We're making an acrostic out of the word grace in order to better understand it this morning. For the letter A, in the word grace, I'm, I'm using the word assistance. Now listen to me, the word assistance. Because you see there are two types of grace. Most people are only familiar with the one type of grace, and that is saving grace. But there is more, grace has more use than just saving grace. There are two types of grace. There's saving grace, but there's also sustaining grace. You see, God not only offers us saving grace, but He also offers us sustaining grace. You see, God's grace can not only save you, but it can keep you saved. Some of you that answer every altar call need to understand that the same God that saves you can also sustain you. Not only can God's grace not only save you, but it can also keep you saved. But not only can it keep you saved, it can empower you to live an overcoming life. It can empower you to live a life free from habitual sin. Live a life of victory. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. The word of God says, God says to Paul, says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Or, or Paul, my grace is enough for you. And then Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, let us, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Here's the answer, that we may obtain mercy. Why? And we may find grace to help. Right. See, grace is not just given to get you in, but grace is given to keep you in and to sustain you and to give you the power that you can live a life above sin and above reproach and you can actually walk the walk and not just talk the talk. For the letter C, I'm using the word cultivated. Grace is cultivated. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says you must grow. Say grow. You must grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May I suggest that becoming a person of grace is a process. It does not come overnight. And especially, especially if you grew up, oh, in my generation where God was portrayed as this enraged tyrant in the sky that was out to get you. When I was growing up, and I've used this before, but we got new people here today, so I get to use an old illustration. <sighs> when I was growing up as a kid, they used to sing an old song, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. 
Watching you, watching you. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. See, that's why I preach and don't sing. But I could just, as a little boy, oh, because of the way that they portrayed God, I could just see God when they would sing that song. I could just see God as this big old giant eyeball. They all sing, and he's watching me. He's watching. He's going everywhere I'm going. He looks in every corner. He's there. Oh, he's always looking. He's watching. Oh, oh, he, the all sing, is watching you. So he can reach out and slap you. How many of you grew up kind of like I did? Yeah. See, becoming a person of grace is a process. It doesn't happen overnight, especially for some of us our age. Amen. May I tell you that 25, 30 years ago, I was anything but a preacher of grace. Can I tell you the funniest thing about this whole thing? Is that God would choose me, the bulldog. <laughs> that he would choose the bulldog. To build the grace place. Because I'm telling you, 25 years ago, I could, I could slap them as good as any preacher, man. I mean, I'd chew them up, spit them down, slap them up against the side of the face, slap them up against the wall, make them like it. <laughs> May I tell you that it's just not in my natural DNA. Grace is cultivated. It's a growing process. It only happens over time as God works within us little by little by little. James said it this way in James 4 and 6. God gives us even more grace. And 1 Peter 1 and 2 says, may God give you more and more grace. And so daily I ask God to make me a grace-filled person because I've already said it. It's just not in my natural Nature to be a person of grace. I, in the natural, I'm a black or white guy. You're black or white, man. You know, you're either in or you're out. It's either up or it's down. That's me in the natural. The grace I have has been cultivated. By God. And it's been a long process for me. And I'm pretty certain that there are some people in this room this morning that will require some cultivating to get you to the place that you need to be in this area called grace. Elbows are bent. For the letter E in the word grace. Grace, may I suggest, is expensive. It's expensive. 
Now, grace is free, but it's not cheap. It's free to us, but oh, how very expensive it was for God. May I suggest, first of all, that it cost Father God his best. John 3.16 says that that God so loved the world that that He gave His one and His only Son that, that whoever would believe upon Him would not have to perish but could have everlasting life. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20 says that God paid a ransom to save you. And the, and the ransom was not merely silver or gold. No, no. It was the precious blood of His very own Son, Jesus Christ. And I tell you that I love you. I love you with an unconditional love. I don't know, because I don't say things, you know, if you've never done it, you don't say it because you don't know. I don't know if I love you enough to die for you. I, I, I don't know that answer. Hopefully I never have to find out whether I would or not. But I love you, but I don't know if I love you enough to die for you. I do know this. I don't love you enough to give you my son. No way, Jose. (laughs) Ain't happening. I love you. I might die for you. I probably wouldn't. I'm a kind of chicken. (laughs) But I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I don't love you enough to give up my only son for you. But that's exactly what God the Father did as He looked around heaven for some way and some means to save mankind. Oh, and the only means of salvation was sitting on His right hand, His very own Son, Jesus Christ. And God the Father loved us enough that He gave us His one and only Son to die for us. Expensive. Not only did it cost Father God his best, it cost Jesus his worst. His worst. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And verse 3 through 7. Speaking of Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Oh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 
But all we like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus, the Son of God, became Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus, who knew no sin, took upon himself the sin of all men. You see, you see, on the cross, God took all sin, past, present, and future, and he dumped it all on his son, Jesus. Every vile, vulgar, disgusting sin, every lie, every jealous act, every crooked deal, every perverted sexual sin, every deviant, lewd, indecent, and gross deed, anything and everything that we would classify as sin was dumped on Jesus on the cross. Your sin, my sin, our sin was placed upon Jesus. Oh, Calvary's cross. Oh, yes. Grace is free, but it certainly is not cheap. Hopefully, this acrostic will give you just a tiny bit of understanding of the description of grace. But I not only want to talk to you about its description, but I also want to talk to you about its demonstration. Its demonstration. Now, now God's Word is, is full of illustrations and examples. Let me just give you one this morning. Just one example. And it's the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 that has come to be called the parable of the prodigal son. Most of us know that story. The Bible said a man had two sons. And one day the younger son came to daddy and said, hey, daddy-o, I'm too cool to be here, man. I need to go find myself. And uh, can't wait around for you to die. I need my stuff now. Give me my inheritance now. It's the new Benson rearranged version. The father gave his son his inheritance. The Bible said that the young son took the father's money and he went to a far country. How many know when you're going to live totally opposite to the way you were brought up to live, you've got to get a long way away? Long story short, the young man lived it up, wine, women, and song, party hardy. But one day, the money was all gone. He had squandered the father's fortune on wine, women, and song. He tried to find a job. The Bible said there was a famine that swept the land during that time, and all he could do was find himself a job feeding pigs. (laughs) The irony, a Jew boy feeding pigs. You can't get any lower than that. And one day as he was... Feeding the pigs, oh, oh, he began to think about how it was back home and 
how he, well he had it off. And he looked at the rags he had on and the dirt he had all over him and the stench of the, of the pigs and the smell. And oh, the Bible said that he came to himself and he remembered what it was like back home. He said, man, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up out of this, pog, uh, this pig slop and I'm going to go back home and I'm going to beg God, I'm going to beg my father to take me back. Oh, I know I could never be a son again. I've already messed that up. But maybe he would let me be just a servant because even his lowest of servants have bread enough to eat and a place to live and something to wear. So he gets up out of the pig pen and he makes his way back to the father's house. But before he could even get to the father's house, the father saw him. Leads me to believe the father was looking for him. I can imagine every morning before the sun would come up. Oh, I can imagine the father going out to the road in front of the house where his son left him. And I can see his father waiting for the sun to come up. And he strains his eyes, hoping, hoping, hoping that this will be the day that his boy will come home to him. But it doesn't happen. I can imagine the father, oh, just before the sun would go down in the evening, he's back out there at that road again looking, hoping this could be the day. This could be the day my son comes back. Day after day, it happened perhaps, week after week, month after, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But one day as the father was looking down the road, and sure enough, he saw somebody coming up the road. Oh, could it be? It might be. Oh, oh, oh. But he didn't want to get too excited because he thought it was his son before and always was disappointed. But there was just something about him. Oh, he didn't look like he looked when he left, he wasn't wearing the same kind of clothes. He didn't have the spring in his step. He wasn't the cocky boy that he was when he left. But there was just something the father knows his son. Amen. And sure enough, coming down the road, he was his son. And the father didn't wait on the son. But the father ran, the Bible says, and grabbed his son. And hugged him and kissed him. And the boy said, Daddy, I... Oh, Daddy, I've messed up, Daddy. Daddy, 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 I'm sorry, Daddy. Oh, I've squandered the family fortune. I, I've dishonored you, Daddy. God, oh, Daddy, would you forgive me? I, I know I can never be your son again, but could I just come back and be your servant? Grace. The father said, nonsense. I'll not hear of it. You will not be my servant. You'll not be my slave. You have been and you are and you will always be my son. And he said to the servants, bring the best ring or bring the best robe in the house and put it around him. Oh, he stinks. He's, he, he's dirty. He's filthy. He's ragged. Oh, I want to cover up his shame. And bring a ring and put it on his hand. The family bracelet that has the initial of our last name, our brand, that says he belongs to me. He's not somebody else's boy. He's my boy. And kill the fatted calf. I've been fattening it up just for this occasion. Oh, let's throw a party. Let there be music and dancing. Oh, this my son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found and they began to be merry. I'm telling you, that is grace today. That is grace. Give the Lord a shout of praise in his house. When I was about 10 years old, 
I wanted a bicycle. But not just any bicycle. They had just come out with a brand new type and style of bike, and they called it the Stingray. The Stingray wasn't the traditional 26-inch standard bike with ordinary seat and handlebars. Uh, yeah, uh, no, 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 it was a 20-inch bike with a long banana seat and swan-like handlebars and chrome-spiked wheels. Uh, oh, oh, no doubt it was the Stingray. It was the Stingray that caused the word cool to be coined. That's where the word cool came from. Was when the stingray came out, man. Buddy, it was cool. Every kid had a bicycle. Hardly anybody had a stingray. Man, if you had a stingray, you were the coolest kid on the block, man. I mean, you were the cat's meow. I mean, you were the envy of the neighborhood if you had a stingray. I wanted a Stingray bike more than anything in all my little world. And I literally begged my mom and my dad to buy me a Stingray for Christmas. My older brother Dennis wanted one too. And between me and him, we wore mom and dad out. Finally, mom and dad said, okay. But because of how much they cost, all you're going to get is the bikes. You won't get any other presents because these bikes cost so much. All you get is the bike. So don't be looking for any other presents. That's all you're going to get. That's all I wanted. And no, 10 years old, oh, how I longed for Christmas to arrive. Oh, I counted the days and, and I marked them off of the calendar, man. I was getting a stingray for Christmas. Hey, I just happened to have a picture. Ha! Woo! Is that cool or what? About two weeks before Christmas, my brother and I did something really, really bad. It was so bad, I have erased it from my memory bank. (laughs) I can't even remember what it was we did. I do remember, though, it was Dennis. It was my older brother that led us into this deviant act, whatever it was. (laughs) And as punishment, as punishment for our offense, my father said to us, no stingray bike for Christmas. What? 
stingray. Listen, I want to tell you, as a 10-year-old boy, my whole world just came crumbling down on me. I was crushed. And as my parents will testify, when I was a little boy, I was tenderhearted. And I wasn't the bulldog, but I was tenderhearted. <laughs> and I was crushed. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. Christmas Day came, and we got lots of presents. Mom and Dad always gave us lots of presents for Christmas. And there were a lot of presents under the tree. But no stingray like. My parents spent the equivalent of the cost of the bikes on us. But no bike. About two weeks after Christmas, my dad comes home early from work one day and he opens the door from the garage to the house and he yells, Mike, Dennis, come out to the garage. Second time, Dad opens the door. Mike, Dennis, come out to the garage. Now, I heard him the first time. But I was in no hurry to get out into the garage because I knew it was one of two things. Either I was in trouble and he had the belt out. Or he wanted me to clean up the garage. I didn't like either one of those things. I'm telling you exactly the way it was. Dad opens the door again and he yells, Michael Don, Dennis Keith, get in there, get out here into the garage. Now, when my father used your middle name, you better respond, and it better be now. My brother and I reluctantly went out, opened the door to the garage, and there they were. Two weeks after Christmas, there they were. Two of the coolest <laughs> stingray bikes I'd ever laid eyes on 20 inches. Oh, oh, long banana seat, man, jacked up like that, man. How oh, them high-rise handlebars, them spoked wheels. Wow! I thought I was in heaven. <laughs> that. Is grace. That is grace. I received what I did not deserve. I had done wrong. I had I had deserved punishment, but my father and my mother, oh, just because they loved their sons, only because of their generosity, only out of unmerited favor. Listen, listen, listen. The gift was not because of us boys. It was because of the parents. And so it is with us. Oh, oh, friend, the gift of grace is not about us at all. It's about our kind and our generous and our loving Heavenly Father who simply gives out of His abundant, unconditional love what we do not deserve. 
God has impressed upon my heart to challenge you today to challenge you with the grace challenge. To open your heart and allow Him to flow His grace and His mercy and His love to you and through you. I'm out of time, but I'm not out of points. All right, we've talked about the description of grace. We've talked about the demonstration of grace. Finally, let's talk about its demand. Its demand. Now, I suggest, number one, to render. Second Thessalonians 1 and 12 says, The name of the Lord Jesus will be honored by the way you live. And this is made possible because of the grace of God of God. See, the truth is, we honor or we dishonor God by the way we choose to live our lives. And this is why we should always be loving, we should always be courteous, and we should always be kind, and always be forgiving. It doesn't matter if it's to the server at the restaurant, or the cashier at the grocery store, or the next door neighbor whose dog keeps you up at night. May I suggest God dispenses grace through people. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for every one. And then let us not forget about the law of sowing and reaping. Oh, oh, you reap according to what you sow. So if that's true, and it is, you cannot sow hate and reap love. You cannot sow the letter of the law and reap grace. In order to receive grace, you have to sow or give grace. You and I this morning should be dispensers of God's grace. Notice the second demand. I'm trying to, trying to be done. To receive. To receive. Romans 5 and 17 says, For, for by the sin of one man, Adam, Cause death to reign over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who receive it. All who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the phrase here, for all who receive it. Now listen carefully. Listen exactly what I'm saying. Are you listening carefully? Not everyone can receive this wonderful gift. Listen, it's available to everyone. But as hard as it is for some people to render or give grace, it is equally as hard for some people to receive it. And even though it is available to them, for whatever reason, they just can't seem to receive it. For whatever reason, they just can't grasp it all. They can't comprehend it. They they just can't seem to accept it all. And there are various reasons for this. It might be pride. It could be a poor self-image. It could be wrong teaching. The grace challenge today is not just for those who need to to render or give out grace to others, but this grace challenge is for those of you here today who need to be willing to receive grace, who need to be willing to accept grace for yourself. And maybe you are here this morning, and, and man, you have royally messed things up in your life. Oh, maybe you've been immoral. Maybe you have an addiction. Oh, maybe you have been abusive. 
I don't know what you've done. But because of what you have done, you feel like God couldn't possibly love you. Oh, He couldn't possibly have a plan for your life, for everybody else. Yes, but not for me. You think I've been too bad. No, no, no. You feel like I've been too bad to be saved. But that is a lie. God does love you. Fact of the matter is, you are the very one He invented grace Amen? Iman? Private joke. <laughs> On the other hand, maybe you're a victim. You have been abused. You have been cheated on by your spouse. You are the one that has been put down by family and friends and society. All your life you've been put down. You were the last to be chosen. And when it came down to choose you, they said, you can have him. No, I don't want him. No, you take No, you take him. Because of this, you don't feel worthy of God's love. You don't feel worthy of God's grace. You don't feel worthy of His salvation. Oh, oh, the challenge is for you today too. Don't listen to this lie, but embrace God's grace today. Musicians and singers, get back in place very quickly and very quietly this morning, please. Talking to you today about the grace challenge. Some of you are not very graceful. You're quick to condemn. You're quick to throw stones. I mean, if you'd have been there when Jesus said, He is without sin among you, let him throw the first rock, you would have had the audacity to pick up a rock and throw it. <laughs> I've met some of those people. challenge for you today is to become a person of grace. Hallelujah. There's also a grace challenge for those of you here today. You're unsaved. You don't know Jesus. You might be a bad dude. You might be a bad lady. Done a lot of bad stuff. Doesn't matter what you do, you have done. All that matters is what Jesus did for you. Because you see, it doesn't matter who it is. No one, no one. The Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory. Nobody can measure up to God's standard of righteousness and salvation. Nobody. The only way to salvation is through grace. Freely given, unmerited love and favor. The only way to be saved is, is to look at Jesus on the cross with his hands outstretched. 
and blood coming from him as he bleeds and dies. And his hands are outstretched on the cross. Symbolic of his hands outstretched towards you today. Jesus, how much did you love? Do you love us in Jesus? Says, this much, this much, this much, this much, this much. Enough, enough to die for you. Enough to bleed for you. Enough, enough to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And the only thing that's going to get me to heaven and the only thing that's going to save me is if I put my faith and my trust and my confidence in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. That's it. That's it. Everyone standing this morning, please. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today. Nobody's looking about. Please don't put on your coat. Don't, don't mess around. Listen, this is the most important part of the service. Somebody's soul is being weighed in the balance. Somebody is going to make a decision to go to heaven and not go to hell today. Don't distract them making the most important decision of their life. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed all over this room today. And I want to tell you, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. If you're here today, you are here by divine appointment. It's not a coincidence that you're here today. You are here on purpose. If you're a sinner, a backslider, have sin in your life this morning, you're here on purpose. God has you here today. Today is your day. Talk about a turnaround. That's going to be an incredible turnaround. Take place in your life, and it's going to take place right here, today, right now, at the Grace Place. As we officially open the Grace Place today, I officially offer to you this morning the grace of Almighty God, His freely given, unmerited love and favor. So as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, if you're here today, you're not 100% sure if you were to die in the next five minutes, you'd go to heaven. You're here today and you have sin in your life. You know you need to repent of it and get it washed in the blood. Or if you're a backslider and away from God today like the prodigal was. If you fit one of these categories this morning, because every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want you to slip your hand up real high right there where you're standing. Lift it up and keep it up just for a moment. Please keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Lift your hand up real high and let me see. All right. Keep them up. Please keep them up. Keep them up. Thank you. Keep them up. Keep them up. All over this room this morning. Keep them up. Keep them up this morning. There's probably 10 or 12 hands that are here that are risen that have, that have lifted your hand this morning. 
I'm going to ask you to take one more step this morning. If you lifted your hand or, or you didn't, but you know you should have lifted your hand, I want you to come and just stand in the front this morning. And don't be embarrassed. We're, we're all family here, and we're going to rejoice. When people see you coming, they're going to clap, and they're going to rejoice. Amen. Because they have come before themselves. Come on, come on. There's a dozen people lifted your hand. Come on. Real quickly, just step out of your seat. Come on down real quickly. Come on. If one will do it, the others will follow. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I encourage you. Come on. Come on. Come on. There are, you're here. Come on. There were people in every one of these sections. There were people in every one of these sections. Come on. Come on. This is the grace place. We're going to love you. We're going to receive you. We're going to accept you. We're going to embrace you. Come on, honey. Come on. This is only two of 12. There's more. Keep clapping. They're going to come. Come on. You lifted your head. Come on. Keep coming. Come on, keep on coming. Come on, please, keep coming. You lifted your hand. Every single section, there were people that lifted their hand. Every section, there were people that lifted their hand. Amen. Amen. We get a couple of ladies to help me out this morning. We're going to pray a prayer this morning. Let me tell you something. Coming to the front doesn't save you. If you, didn't raise, if you raised your hand and you didn't come, you are not left out. Amen. You are not left out. Amen. Man came up with the altar call, not God. It's not the altar call that saves you. It's not the altar. It's not the front of the church that saves you. It's not the process. It's, it's just putting your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's salvation. So whether you came to the front or not, if you lifted your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud this morning. Pray it from your heart and make it your prayer this morning. Everyone pray so that no one is singled out. Pray this prayer with me, Heavenly Father. I realize I'm a sinner. I, I, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I throw myself on your mercy and your grace. I believe in what Jesus did on the cross. I believe he did it for me. I ask Jesus to forgive me. Come into my life. Help me live for him. I embrace him as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise in his house. Today.